Hey, what's up, Abundant Life? How are you all doing today? It is so good to see you here. Now, listen, I know I say this from time to time about you being my favorite service. Today, I really mean it, okay? Because uh, some of you are actually worshiping, and at the end of that last song, people were like clapping and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, to me, that's an indication. There's some life. There's some energy. There's some people here who want to worship, and there's some people here who believe God. And so I'm glad you're here. Give yourselves a hand for our bravery in the cold and the snow and all that stuff. I really am glad you're here. Now, pray for me, because my voice has been really weak today, and I'm not sure what it is, and so just help me. Some of you may say, yes, yeah, please keep it weak so it'll be short. But uh, anyway, so I would love to, to get through this. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. I want to begin by, um, first off, also, you know, think back two weeks ago, the student ministries team launched this year in a phenomenal way and, and did the worship and the word. Didn't they do an amazing job? It was so good. It was so good. It was so good. We are so blessed with the talented staff and, and uh, students who are coming up in ministry and all of that. It's just exciting. And uh, I enjoyed watching them online, and they did an amazing job. Now, today, as we begin, I want to have you finish this statement. In 2017, I am counting on. Okay, think about it. In 2017, here's another way to say it. In 2017... I'm planning to. What is it you're counting on in 2017? What is it you're, what is it you're planning to do? And, and I'm going to maybe, maybe spin this a little bit differently than, than even how you answered it. But some of you uh, would have answered things that I think could probably be put in one of two categories. Either it's going to be an obstacle that you're going to have to overcome or it's going to be an opportunity that you're going to have to rise to, the occasion. I'll bet you most of what you said, it's going to be one of those two. It's going to be an, an, an opportunity that, that you're going to say, I'm going to rise to the occasion, and I'm going to do that this year. Or it's, you know, it's an obstacle. It's something you've been facing and you've been dealing with, and you're going to get victory on that thing this year. So it's probably one of those two. And I would classify those as being giants. They're giants that you have to overcome. It, again, it could be the giant of an obstacle. It could be the giant of an opportunity. But either way, it's a giant. And, and you want to get victory or you want to overcome it or something. And I'm praying that you do. I, I heard this great statement last week that said, may all of your giants be as short-lived as your New Year's resolutions. Well, you know, if it's an obstacle, I hope it is short-lived. If it's an opportunity, I hope you rise to it, and I hope God takes you to a new place. But what is a giant? How would you define a giant, you know, besides big, okay? Well, this is how I define it. A giant is something that's bigger than I can handle by myself. It's just it's something bigger than you can handle by yourself. Now, how many of you would agree with me that you probably are going to face some things in 2017 that are bigger than you can handle by yourself. Raise your hand. And, and, and all, of us, all of us are, all of us do, and they're giants. Now, I don't know what your giant is. It could be the giant of addiction. Some of you are addicted to some things that you would love to get victory over, and it could be the giant of addiction. Some of you, it could be the giant of aging, okay? Uh, you're, you're aging, and I'm not talking about you 30-year-olds, okay, who think you're getting old. I'm talking about you 60-year-olds who think you're getting old. 
and it's a giant of aging and, and dealing with the emotional and the mental and the physical implications that, that come with that. It could be the giant of a, a career change. Maybe you're, you're anticipating changing careers this, this year. Maybe you're switching jobs. Maybe you're going to lose a job. Maybe it's a giant of the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a giant of, of mounting debt. Who knows what it is? But I'll guarantee you there is some giant that, or giants that you are going to be facing that are bigger than you are able to handle by yourself. Now, one thing we're encouraging you to do as we launch into this year is to enter into a time of fasting. If you received my family email, then you saw it last week. We were going to announce it last Sunday, but because we got snowed out, we couldn't, but we went ahead and launched it anyway last week. And so if you want to enter into a, a time of fasting, which is a great thing to do as you're getting ready to face giants, then you'll see the URL in your life notes. So I encourage you to look at that. You can go to the page and you can check it out and you can start now. So I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about that. So take a moment and I want you to write down what giant are you facing right now? What giant or giants are you facing? I'll give you a little bit of space in your life note. I want you to write those down. I don't know what it is. It could be a person. You might put the name of a person. You might put, you know, make up a name that you know who it is so the person sitting next to you won't see who it is. Or maybe you need to you know, give some kind of a word that you know what it is, but write down the giant or the giants that you're facing and, and maybe that you maybe even anticipate that you're going to face this, this year. And as you... Think through this message today, and as we go through this series, especially this week and next week, because we're going to be talking today and next week about principles of giant warfare. And we're going to be looking specifically today at the giant that David is most uh, noted for, and that's Goliath, okay? And so we, let's go to his story and, and, and take a quick peek at it. His story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, you know that David faced Goliath, and Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were a warring nation. They were enemies with the Israelites, the Hebrews. And the Philistines were a fighting machine, okay? The Philistines were the, the most, they were the best trained army. They had the best weaponry. They had the latest and the greatest of everything. And they were a fighting machine that was a force to be reckoned with. Now, you take the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were more like a bunch of farmer types, okay? Not hillbillies necessarily, but farmer types. Kind of the difference between Oregon and Oregon State. <laughs> and so, I didn't say who was who. I just said the difference between. You figure out which one is who. And so, the Philistines, not only were they a warring machine, the Philistines had the biggest boy on the block, okay? They had the biggest boy on the block. Now... That's important to know, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But I, I, I can appreciate the fact that, that you know, he was a big dude, and they, they stood behind him and all this stuff. Because when I was in high school, I was a wimp, okay? I'm, I'm still basically a wimp. But, but I, was, I was a wimp in high school, and, and I did everything I could to blend in, okay? I didn't want to be picked on. I didn't bully people. I didn't want to be messed with because I just didn't want I, I, I was scared. And, and, I mean, I weighed 155 pounds when I got married, okay? 155 pounds when I got married at 19 and a half or so. And so I needed somebody. I needed a bodyguard. And so, fortunately, my cousin, Gordon, um, was kind of like my bodyguard. I mean, the word got around, don't mess with me, George or Bubba at the time, 
because his cousin is Gordon. And if you mess with me, you mess with him. And so he was my bodyguard. And uh, him, he didn't walk around with me. He just didn't mess with me because of that. And so I did everything I could to blend in. I only got in two fights in high school, by the way. Only two fights in high school. One was with my best friend, and uh, his name was Mark. And we were in our homeroom, and it was the end of the day. And uh, he had his locker up above his head. And so one day I rigged all of his books so that when he opened it, they all fell right on top of his head. And so they did. They all fell on his head. And, and when they did, I just I laughed, I laughed, and laughed. And he turns around, and he hauls off, and he hits me, and he gives me uh, a bloody nose. And so I hit him back, and I had, a, I had a pretty good left hook because what we did used to do was box at the, at the gas station. But anyway, I caught him, I hit him with the left hook, and I gave him a black eye. And that was it. That was, that was the essence of the fight. We, we stopped. Somebody broke it up real quick right there. And we were friends again that afternoon, and we were okay. <laughs> the second fight that I was in was with some guy. I can't remember his name for some reason. But I remember it was a Friday night, and it was, right, it was at the high school football game at a gas station right across the street from the school. And I had just come out of the gas station restroom, and I didn't know that I was in there, so I turned the light off. Well, I didn't mean to, but this guy was in there, and he was a jerk, and he was probably looking for a fight. And so he came out all mad, and he comes running over to me. He wants to start a fight, so he pushes me, and I don't want to fight because I'm 100, probably 140 pounds at that point. And I don't want to fight, and so, but he did, and he was all determined. So it lasted one punch. That was it. And I blocked it pretty well. <laughs> it was my chin. And, and that was it. And um, I didn't tell any of the rest of the story, but the rest of the um, services about this. That guy died several years um, after that. I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I do. I mean, he, was, he was water skiing, and it fell into a, a bed of snakes. Yeah. I'm not making this up. This, that, that, it, was, it was horrible. It was horrible. And... Um, I don't even know why I told you that. <laughs> anyway, so, and so, and so, so Goliath is the big boy on the block, and he's a big dude. He's a big dude. He is a force to be reckoned with. And so David, he's the youngest of eight brothers. And all of his brothers are out of the battle. And so David's dad said, hey, take some food to your brothers. And so, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to, because that's where he wanted to be. He didn't want to be watching a bunch of sheep. And so he, he took the food. When he gets there, he's shocked at what he sees. He's, he's absolutely shocked. He's astounded. He expected to see spears being thrown through the air. He expected to hear the clanging of armor and all this stuff. And he expected to see blood and guts and bodies all over the place. Didn't see any of that. In fact, when he showed up, there's nothing going on. There's nothing going on except for one guy whose name is Goliath. And he's taunting the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, and, and, and challenging them to come out and fight. And so David makes his way uh, there to the Valley of Elah. And then Goliath steps out. Here's a picture of the Valley of Elah right here. I've been there. And the picture is actually taken from where the area where Goliath would have been, where he would have been standing. And across the way, you see that little Burma trees on the left corner there? That's kind of Bethlehem area. That's where the Israelites would have been. And so that battle took place, that fight took place down within this valley. And so big old boy Goliath steps out. And now, obviously, we don't know what it looks like other than what cartoons show us. If you went to Sunday school, you probably saw a picture that looks something like this. Big guy, nine foot tall, over nine feet tall. Over nine feet tall. Who do you know that's nine feet tall? You know? I, you know, when I think of Goliath, you know who I think about? I think about Jaws in the James Bond movie. 
I, I'm a James Bond fan. I love James Bond movies. Remember, anybody remember Jaws? Okay. And then he was seven foot two and ugly and had the teeth and all that stuff. That's who I think about. And so here's a, here's a cartoon picture, a big guy, nine feet tall. His armor probably weighed about 200 pounds. The spear, uh, the head of the spear alone weighed 25 pounds. And so this is a fighting machine. And so he steps out. He's taunting the Israelites. And, and he's a big boy. You know, he, Goliath is the kind of guy that, you know, he could come lumbering through. He could take the two biggest people in here. Okay, who you are, how strong you are. He could take the two biggest people in here, grab one of you by this arm, the other by this arm, and bust your heads together and throw you to the ground and keep on walking. And never even stop and think about it. That's Goliath. So along comes David, and, and, uh, and he sees this, this guy, and he, he, he actually runs toward him. And, and so what David does with, you know, with a sling, um, a, a well-worn sling, because he was so good. He was so good with this thing. He was like a, um, a sharp, what do you call it? Um, Sharpshooter, but there's another word. Sniper, sniper. He was like a sniper. He was like a sniper. And he could hit anything. I mean, he could hit anything. And, and what they say is that, that he would have the capability of being able to hurl a stone at the speed of about 200 feet per second. 200 feet per second. And when he faced Goliath, he was about the distance between a professional baseball pitcher and the catcher, which is 60 feet and 6 inches. And he could hurl this thing at, a, at 200 feet per second, 200 miles per hour. What's the fastest baseball pitcher right now? 95? 100? It, he could hurl this, they say, probably about 136 miles per hour. And this dude was good. He could hit anything, hit anything. And so uh, Goliath had the one spot, you know, up around his forehead that was kind of bare, and he hit him, nailed the boy right, right in, in the head. He comes out, and, you know, and, and Goliath sees David and says, you know, what am I? Am I a dog? Am I a dog that, that you all would send a kid, a boy, out here with sticks and stones to fight me? You know, and he's, and he's you know, trash-talking David, and, and David says, well, I'll show you. And so he hurls this thing, hits the boy in the head, and you can just picture when it hits him. Wouldn't you love to have been there? I'd love to have been there. Hits this boy, nine feet, and he's just wobbling. And then when he falls, can you imagine that fall? Nine feet of that size of a person coming down, the clanking of armor, the dust flying everywhere, the Philistines are scattering like crazy. And then David goes and grabs uh, Goliath's own sword, and he took and he chops his head off. Isn't that the coolest thing? <laughs> what a great story. And I would love to have been there to have seen, to have witnessed something like that. Now, that's the story. Now, throughout this series, we're going we're gonna to talk about different giants David faced. Today and next week, I want to give you some principles about giant warfare. How do you fight the giants in your life? I don't care what giant you're facing right now. What I'm going to tell you is true about all of them, Okay. The first thing uh, that we have to understand um, is that giants are real. Okay, they, they are real. Uh, verse 4, it's a, it was very specific. In 1 Samuel 17, a champion, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, he came out of the Philistine camp. He just walks out. He's real. Goliath was not a figment of anybody's imagination. He wasn't a bad nightmare. He was real. He was real. Now, the giants you're facing today, they're real. And some of you know they're real, 
Okay, again, some of them are very tangible kinds of giants. It's like a broken relationship that you want to get fixed. It's like a, a mountain of debt that you want to get from under. They're very real, and you can touch them. You can feel them. You can see them. Other giants, on the other hand, are they're less tangible. They're, they're more abstract. They're intangible. It's like the, 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 the fear of failure. It's, it's the fear of uh, commitment. It's, you have uh, an anxiousness about something. And it's a giant. And, and sometimes people will look at you when you have those kinds of giants. And say, what, are you, what are you so afraid of? It's all, it's all in your head. Well, hey, you know what? It may be in your head. It's still real. It's still real. And, and some of you need to acknowledge the fact that it's real. Because if you don't acknowledge that it's real, then what you're going to do is deny it. And you'll never face it. Which we're going to see you need to face it. And so they're They're real. They're real. Here's the second thing I see is they're intimidating. Giants are intimidating. I mean, by the very nature of a giant, at least by the definition that we've given to it, something bigger than you can handle on your own, they're intimidating. And you, you have anybody who's nine foot two, you're not over nine feet tall, come out and stand before you. That's pretty intimidating. When you look at the verses there in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, he was over nine feet tall. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, and Saul was no chump, okay? I mean, Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. So he's a big guy himself. And so on hearing the Philistine words, Saul and the Israelites, they were dismayed, and, and they were terrified, okay? They were intimidated by this guy. Verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. They ran from him in great fear. My question that I have to think about when I look at this is, what am I running from? What am I running from? What am I afraid of? What are you running from? What are you afraid of? What's intimidating you? I don't, I don't know what it is, but, but there's probably something that you're facing or dealing with that you're worrying about, you're running from, you're not dealing with. It could be, you know, having that conversation with your spouse. It could be taking a step forward in a career change. It, it could be facing an uncertain future. But what's intimidating you? Make no mistake about it. They're real and they're intimidating. Here's the third thing I see in this story is that they're there when I wake up and they're there when I go to bed. They're there when I wake up and they're there when I go to bed. That's just something about giants. They won't go away. They don't go away. And you say, where do you find that? Well, in verse 16, for 40 days, for 40 days, the Philistine, he came out every morning, every morning, and every evening, and he took his stand. Every morning for 40 days, every evening for 40 evenings. He says, come on, send somebody out to fight me, you bunch of chickens. Get out of here. You know, your God is so great. And all this stuff. I'll, I'll fight you with one hand behind my back or whatever. And he's intimidating them. He's, he's, he's taunting them every morning, every day. And what I've discovered over the course of my life, and I'm still learning, is that until you face the giant, it's going to stay there and it's going to keep intimidating you. It's never going to go away until somebody, until you step up and you face it. But God wants you and me to face it. God does not want you and me to run from the giant. Why? Well, here's why. Because giants are gateways to growth. They're gateways to your growth, to your personal growth, to your development. David knew this. He, he understood this so clearly because earlier in his life, he faced giants before 
that prepared him for the ones he would face later in life, like Goliath and others that would come his way. In verse 34 through 36, I love this, but David said to Saul, listen, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, okay? I've been watching a bunch of sheep. But when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. I mean, can you get that picture? And this is David. He's like a teenager. It's like, I can't identify with that. It's like, no, don't hit me. Don't hit me, you know? And and he said, no, I'm going to go after it. And so he goes after it. And then when it turned on me, he says, I seized it by its hair. And I struck it. And I killed it. I mean, can you picture this? This teenage guy grabbing a lion, grabbing a bear. I mean, I can maybe do it with a 30-06 or uh, something like that, but not barehanded. And, and, he, and he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine. He's going to be just like one of them. I'm going to kill him too. That's who I want on my side, you know. If you need a bodyguard, that's the kind of bodyguard you want. Now, the problem is, for a lot of us, is we would prefer to live problem-free or giant-free lives, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You're not going to live a giant-free life. There, listen, you're going to face giants whether you like it or not. And some of them you've invited into your life. And some of them just come lumbering in from who knows where. And you never saw them coming. But that's okay. Because that's what life's all about, facing giants. How many of you agree with me life is tough? It's tough. It's almost like facing one giant after the next. And so they're gateways for growth. I, I love what uh, Scott Peck said. These are the opening lines in his book, The Road Less Travel. He says, life is difficult. He says, this is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. And once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then it's no longer difficult. Because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. <laughs> I think that's great. I, th I think that's awesome. I mean, just, just recognize it. It's tough. It's difficult. If you think life's going to be easy, you're in for a difficult life. But if you recognize the fact that there are going to be giants to come lumbering along in your life, okay, now I can deal with that. Because there are opportunities to grow. Not only that, but there are opportunities to see God at work. You'll never see God at work as long as you stay in the safety of your comfort zone and you never face the giant. If you want to see God at work, then face the thing and watch God go to work. There are opportunities to see God go to work. Again, David so clearly understood this because it's so clear in the words that he spoke in verse 47. He says, he, he says this to Goliath, you know, Goliath is taunting him. Am I a dog that you come out with some kid with sticks and stones and blah, 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 and all this stuff? And so David looks at Goliath and he says, listen, all of those gathered here, they will know. They will know that there is not a, it is not by the sword, it's not by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Don't you love his faith? He knew he knew, I'll face this giant because it is an opportunity to watch God move and do the seemingly impossible. And, and so, yeah, you're going to face giants, 
But these are opportunities for God to work in your life and see him in ways that otherwise you would miss had you not faced the giant. And so that's what we need to understand about them. Now, today, let me give you two principles. Next week, we'll give you several more about how do you face them? How do you effectively face giants in your life? Here's the first one. Be faithful in the little things. That's where it starts. If you're going to face the giants that are coming down the pike in your life, then you need to be faithful in the little things right now. Because they strengthen you for the bigger things to come along later. Remember, not every giant is a problem. Some giants are opportunities. They're opportunities for you to grow. And they're opportunities to watch God work. Again, that's what David saw in verse 14 and 15. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David, what did he do? He went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Back and forth. I mean, you can get the monotony of that. You know, hey, get up one more, back and forth. Go tend the sheep, tend the sheep. Back and forth, back and forth. I am so sick of messing with these sheep. And so he's back and forth just tending with sheep. That, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing during this whole time. Now, David may have been the youngest of the eight, but he wasn't the dumbest. In fact, what... Um, a lot of commentators believe that this kid probably had an IQ of something like 150 or something like that. Is that a high IQ or low? It's high. And so he had a high. <laughs> he probably had an IQ of something like 150. Uh, he had probably had the athletic ability of somebody like, in like Nolan Ryan, okay, or some other great sport, you know, whoever else is athletic. Um, he probably had the... Um, the musical skill of a Beethoven. He probably had the military mind of a Norman Schwarzkopf. All of these wrapped into one person. And what's he doing? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, Bethlehem, watching the sheep, watching the sheep. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's got all this skill. That's what he's doing. Why? Because God's preparing him. He, God's preparing him for the bigger giants that are going to be coming down the, down the pike. If you look at David, you don't find a place in there where he whines and he complains and feels overlooked by God. And, you know, why am I here? Why can't I be out there? You don't, you don't see any of that in David. What you see is somebody doing what he needed to do. And what did he need to do? Where he was. What did he need to do? Obey his dad. He's a teenager. Obey your dad. Um, care for the sheep. Practice your heart. That's it. Because David didn't get his start out on the battlefield. He didn't. He got his start in some pasture somewhere. Okay? He didn't get his start fighting giants out on the battlefield. You know where he got his start? He got his start playing a harp to soothe Saul. That's where. But you never hear him complaining. So David is so faithful in the small things, and all along the way, God's preparing him for the bigger things. And so if you want to be prepared to face the big giants that are coming down the pike at you, then you need to be faithful in the small things. How many of you would agree with me that we live in a culture today that has an entitlement mentality? I think so. I think so. There's so many people living in our world today who think they deserve everything. You know, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a certificate. Just show up and you get something, you know. And, and I probably shouldn't go down that road too far. But... But there are people today who, they, they want the prize, but they don't want to go through the pain. 
You know, they want the perks, but they don't want to go through the process. And they're entitled to everything. And what, what I learned here is, no, you be faithful in, where, in the small things, wherever God has you right now. You be faithful in that, and there will be plenty of opportunities to deal with bigger things along the way. In fact, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 16, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you're faithful in little stuff. So, listen, the question I've got to ask you right now is this. What little things in your life do you need to be faithful with? What are they? Faithful to your marriage, faithful to your word, faithful to your work, in the mundane, everyday things. You know, when you're walking back and forth from Bethlehem to the sheep, Bethlehem to the sheep, you're, you're constantly being faithful in the little things so that you'll be prepared for the big things when they come along. Here's number two. Here's number two. Initiate action. Initiate action. If, if you're going to face the giant that's in your life, you've got to initiate action. How many of you would agree that sometimes giants paralyze you and you don't do anything? That's what's happening with these guys. Okay, David's brothers, they're all paralyzed. Saul, the army, his brothers, all of them, they're sitting paralyzed, shaking in their tents. And they're not doing anything. To, to face Goliath, and they're not about to initiate any action. In fact, you know what they've done? They've, they've grown accustomed, you know, 40 days you know, hearing this, this big gorilla you know, taunt them. They've gotten accustomed to it, and their mentality probably is something like, hey, you know what? As long as he stays over there and we're over here, I don't give a rip what he calls us. He can call us whatever he wants. I'm fine with it. Let him yell all he wants. And they've grown accustomed to it. And guess what? If you don't initiate action, how long is the giant going to stay there? Forever. Forever. In fact, what, what I found to be true, if, if you want to deal with the giant, you run toward it and not away from it. And so, so David, he gets this earful from his brothers about, yeah, he can't be beat. He can't be beat. He's never lost. Look how big he is. He's nine foot. Gosh, my, he's so big. Nobody can beat this guy. And David heard enough of this, and so he finally, verse 32, he said to Saul, your servant, I'll go fight him. Your servant will go fight him. I'll do it. I'll initiate all over his head, and, and I'll, take care, I'll take care of him. And what I want you to see here is that, that David, his mentality is such that, man, somebody's got to do something here. And he's a teenager, and he's saying, somebody's got to do something. I'm going to face this giant. You'll notice several things he didn't do. He didn't form a committee to discuss it. And, you know, that's one thing I love about our church is we don't have a bunch of committees around here. In fact, we don't have any committees around here. Every now and then somebody will slip and call something a committee. We don't have any committees. Okay, we've got teams. You know what a committee is? Here's, here's my favorite definition of a committee. A committee is a group of the unwilling selected by the unfit to do the unnecessary. Okay, <laughs> that's a committee. We don't have committees around here. We have teams of people who do work who do ministry around here. David didn't, didn't form a committee. Uh, David, now some of the, this may offend some of you, but David didn't get all spiritual sound and say, well, I guess we better pray about this giant. No, he just said, let me add him. Let me go deal with him. Now, don't go out of here saying, Pastor George says, I don't have to pray. <laughs> no, I didn't. In fact, we've already called you to 21 days of prayer and fasting. I didn't say don't pray. Pray. Pray, but after you pray, please initiate, do something, move. 
Do something. Initiate. Get into action. And, and, and don't just say, you know, because so many times we, we hide behind that. You know, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a pastor. I'm going to pray about it. Yeah, yeah. What that means is you ain't going to do nothing. Okay? But that's what that means. And, and then sometimes people, um, and this is what I find happening too, people, rather than deal with the giant, they go find somebody else who is unsuccessful in dealing with a similar giant so that they can affirm that they shouldn't deal with it either. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, here's the easiest example I can think of. You, let's say you want to get healthy, you want to start exercising and start eating right, and so you go find somebody else who's not healthy and not eating right, not exercising, and say, what do you think? I, you know, I've been thinking about it. I tried that. It didn't work for me. Now nah, you're probably right. <laughs> I don't think I will either. And you can apply that to anything. And so David didn't do that. David did not have a discussion with his brothers and say, what do you think? He already knew what they thought. He already knew. They thought it can't be done. And David says, mm-mm, I'm going to do it. And you're going to watch God work. Now, so here's the question for you guys today. What giant is lurking in the backyard of your mind? What giant is lurking in your life that, that you need to deal with? that you need to face. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head as we close out today. I want you to think about what we've talked about today. And, and you might even take, take that giant and lift it up to God right now. And even in the form of a prayer, you might pray something like this. And you can just pray this in your own heart, in your own voice. And, and just say, just pray something like this. God, here's the giant I'm dealing with. And you name it. It's a giant of debt. It's a giant of a relationship issue. It's a giant of poor health. It's, it's a giant of fear. It's a giant of worry. You name it. God, this is the giant I'm dealing with, and I'm admitting the fact it's real. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's real. And God, I want to be honest. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. I worry about it all the time. I, I, I run from it. don't want to face it. It's intimidating. And it just never goes away. It's there when I go to bed at night. It's there when I wake up in the morning. It just won't leave me alone. But God, I want to thank you for this giant in my life because I believe that you want to grow me through this. I believe you want to develop me through this. I believe you want to mature me through this. And so, God, I'm going to initiate, I'm going to take action, and I'm going to watch you go to work. I'm going to watch you take on this giant because the victory is yours. It's not by the spear I hold in my hand. It's, it's not by the stone. It's not by my might, but it's by you. And so I'm going to watch you go to work. So, God, I give it to you. But I initiate action, so I pray for wisdom, I pray for courage, I pray for clarity. Some of you here today, uh, the biggest decision you could make would be to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you, that might be a recommitment of your life, and for some of you, it could be for the first time. Did you, you realize that, that Jesus defeated two of the greatest giants that needed to be defeated in order for you and me to have forgiveness of our sin? He defeated the giant of the cross sin and he defeated the giant of death he defeated the two greatest giants that could possibly be defeated in order for you and me to have the forgiveness of our sin and eternal life and so today if you have not received Jesus Christ as your savior 
and your Lord, and that's your desire, I'm going to ask if you would pray this prayer with me as, as we close. And for those of you who want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, if you also would pray this prayer. So just repeat this aloud after me. Father in heaven, today I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I acknowledge that you are my Savior and you are my Lord. And I need you in my life. I invite you in. And I choose to follow you. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Give me courage. I pray this in your name. Amen.